0: Good morning, everyone. It's really good to see you. If I haven't met you, uh, my name is Greg Brady, and I'm the pastor here at Hope Church. And So glad we are worshiping together here, and uh, those of you joining online, thank you for worshiping with us. We are talking about intentional faith. How do we Grow intentionally, and how do we live out our faith intentionally? Um, I'm a firm believer that we don't drift into discipleship, um, but it it requires uh, us taking steps, intentional steps, to grow. And at the beginning of the series, we talked about some of the intentional things that we can do to inwardly grow things to believe, attitudes to adjust. Last week we talked about what can we do um, to make sure we are doing at least the, you know, the, the, the necessary thing to grow in our love for Jesus, a real heart love. And now what we want to do is start talking about ways that we can intentionally start living out this faith externally um, to the world around us. And particularly today, with uh, maybe some of the inability or hesitancy to be a little more social or to, um, you know, have a lot of personal interaction with others, um, as at least as much as we would like to be, I think the church, I think as Christians, we need to um, show extra intentionality to our mission as a church. And that mission is to go out and make disciples. And how do we do that um, can be kind of difficult today. So let's talk about intentional steps that we can take to do that. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 10, if you brought your Bible. I hope you did. I think the, the words uh, are printed in your, your bulletin, a the little note sheet, if you didn't bring your Bible. I have an online version of it. Uh, but let's read, let's read Luke chapter 10. Verses 1 through 11. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of them to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. And if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will be returned to you. Stay there eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you, heal the sick, who are there, and tell them the kingdom of, kingdom of God has come near. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. Now, I want to point out four things that this scripture says about having intentional impact. And the first thing, number one, is this. Make the intention to go. Make the intention to go. Notice something about who Jesus sends out. Now, there's another place in Scripture that has a very similar story to this, and maybe you thought of it, where Jesus sends out the 12 disciples to do a a very similar mission. They go out to these towns and and villages and have a, a very similar message. But Um, This is a different occasion when Jesus sends workers out, people out, missionaries out. How many does Jesus send out in this Luke chapter 10 scripture? Well, it depends on what translation you're reading from. Maybe 72, maybe 70. Anyone have 70 in their translation? Um and maybe that's not a precise number. Why? Well, I think about what the the number uh, seventy represents in in scripture. Um, remember that time that the disciples asked Jesus, How many times should we forgive those who sin against us seven times Jesus' And he says, "No, not seven times, but 77 times. And I'm quite confident that Jesus is just not giving a bigger number than their number seven. He's not giving this discrete 490 yeah, I could do math in my head um, times that you must forgive." No, He's given this number of completely se- completeness, 70 times this, this complete number. He wasn't giving an exact number. He was giving a complete number. So when the Bible says that Jesus sends out 70 or 72, the point isn't that he was sending out 70 individuals or 72 individuals. The Bible isn't giving an exact number here. It's giving a complete number. In other words, this, in this story, we, we see this important truth that we are one of these workers. It includes you. So I think the first step about intentional impact is to make the intention to go, to know when I read this story, he's talking about me. When I think about God, Jesus, sending out workers into harvest fields, he's talking about me. I've got to figure out how I'm going to do that. But know that I'm on the list. I'm not going to keep my faith private. I'm going to look for ways to go and to share. So that's number one. Number two, pray first. I think there's an interesting sequence of events. Jesus sends out workers, and he says, "Now pray to the Lord of the Harvest to send out workers." And that's just kind of interesting, right? Because the workers are already out. Now they're supposed to pray to the Lord of the Harvest to the Lord of the Harvest to send out workers. And it could be that Jesus is saying, "Well, we need more workers than just." Y'all going out? But I think Jesus is pointing out something else as well. Why do we pray to the Lord of the harvest? Because God is already at work in the harvest fields. He's the Lord of those harvest fields. God is a good farmer. That means he's already cultivated the soil. He's planted seeds in these harvest fields. He's caused some initial growth. Now's the next step. He's going to send out workers. This means that the workers are going out to where God was already at work. That's an important point. So that when God sends you out, that means he's already been at work where he's sending you to. God never sends you where he isn't already at work. So when we pray to God to send out workers into the harvest fields, we're recognizing God has already been working in people's hearts. He's been preparing their hearts and their lives in some way. And then he invites us, why don't you partner with me in this harvesting process? And my friends, this is good news because that means the results are up to God. If he's already been at work, is already at work, been making preparations, then the results are up to him. We just follow in obedience, try to be faithful, and the results are up to God. If it doesn't feel like you are succeeding or if you're rejected by someone, that doesn't mean that... That's on you. We just do our part and let God do the rest. Number three. Remember that the message is peace. I think it's very interesting that Jesus says, here's here's what I want you to say to these people. I want you to, first thing that comes out of your mouth is peace. Peace. Remember the message is peace. That's in verse 5. When you enter into a house, first say, peace to this house. Now, peace can be a pretty uh, loose term today. What you may think of peace may not be exactly what I think of peace, may not be what someone else thinks of peace, may not be what non-Christians think is peace. Sometimes we think of peace as an absence of conflict. It's interesting. We find our word peace, like our English word peace, throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament as well. And sometimes the word, our word peace, will be used to describe what happens when there's no conflict in the region. Let me give you an example. 2 Chronicles chapter 14, verse 1, there's a king named Asa. And 2 Chronicles 14, verse 1, tells about this time. Asa, his son, succeeded him him as king. And in his days, the country was at peace for ten years. Ah, sounds nice, right? What it is describing is there's no conflict. There's no battles with other nations around the Israelites for ten years. Now, that word for peace is not the word that we often think of when we think of peace in the Bible, that word shalom. It's a different word right there. That word, in Second Chronicles chapter 14, verse 1, just means an absence of, of harm. Um, it means undisturbed or calm. It refers less about good being done and more about harm not being done. Now, is that bad? No, I mean, there are many times when we think, well, I could use a period of time where no harm is being done, right? That sounds pretty nice. But that isn't the word for peace that Jesus is thinking of when he's talking about peace. Jesus wants the workers to go out and proclaim shalom, not just the absence of harm. That's not shalom. Shalom is good being done. It means safety and harmony and security and provision, all leading to the prosperity of the people. Shalom is the condition that exists when there is nothing to fear. Now, where does that peace originate? The shalom peace that Jesus says, I want you to go out and proclaim. Think about Luke chapter 2, verse 14. The angels, the, the host of angels, what they proclaim to the shepherds, right when Jesus is born, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Shalom, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So this peace is coming with Jesus, right? Jesus is, is, is going to bring this peace. How is Jesus going to bring this peace? By bringing in the kingdom of God. And this leads us to the second part of the message of the workers. Jesus says to them, Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. So notice the connection between peace and the kingdom of God. People were being healed. That is peace, shalom, being brought to them. That is the kingdom of God coming to them. The kingdom of God was coming near. People were being fed, and that was the sign that the kingdom of God has come near. Sinners were being forgiven, and that was the sign that the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus is the king, and he's bringing in his kingdom. And his kingdom is where the will of the king is done. So you have peace. We have peace. Full peace because we live in the kingdom of God, kingdom of King Jesus. And you know that the king will be taking care of you. That's, that's the message of peace that Jesus says, go out and share the peace that comes with the kingdom of God. Now, it's important to also realize that Peace for Jesus doesn't mean that difficulty won't come your way. In John chapter 14, Jesus says, Peace, I leave with you my peace I give you. But I don't give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And obviously, the peace Jesus promises is not the absence of conflict or trouble because Jesus is telling his disciples, Do not be troubled. Do not be troubled because there are some things that potentially could be troubling them. And so Jesus is encouraging them here. Later, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace, but in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. You will have trouble, but you can be of good cheer You can be of good cheer. You can can take heart. That means you can be of good cheer. You can have this peace. You can know I'm bringing my kingdom into your world. You can know that no matter the the difficulty that you're going through, that you're dealing with, you can always have good hope that I am near, and that I'm the king, and I'm working my good will. I'm going to bring that turnaround for you. So this is the message that we get to share. And it makes me think, what is the message that Christians are known for in our culture, in our society? Boy, I hope that's the message that we're known for, the message of peace. And more and more, I think that has got to be our first message. I think peace has got to be our first and primary message. What do you think Christians are most known for? Do you think Christians are known more for spreading the news of peace of the kingdom of God or spreading the news of what they think is wrong with the world? And, and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that Christians shouldn't have this prophetic voice when we see things that are that's just sin and rebellion against God and just unbiblical and harmful and hurtful. We should, I'm not saying we shouldn't have that prophetic voice and, and Say, this is not good. This is not good. And you know, we go through these weeks and we see some, some things that are not good. And then it's up to us to reflect, God, what is the message that you want us to give? And do we need to confront this? Do we need to give this prophetic voice? And sometimes, yes, we do. Yes, we do. But that prophetic message is going to come across much more clearly if our first message has been a message of peace and hope and the good news of God's kingdom coming into the world. And this leads us to our fourth point. That we need to show humility. That we need to go out with a humble attitude. And I think Jesus points this out to his workers. Look at verse 4. Jesus tells his followers, do not take a purse or a bag or sandals. Now, why? What's, what's wrong with being prepared? What's wrong with packing a few provisions? Is there anything wrong with that? A few weeks ago, um, many of you know, Melissa and I, we we took our two oldest kids to college. Uh, Luke, the first week, and Susan, the second week. And let's just say that one of the things that makes our two oldest kids different uh, from each other is their packing strategy. Um, Luke's M.O., I think, was, let's just make this as easy as possible. Um, And all of his stuff, all of his stuff fit in the back of our little midsize SUV with room enough for five of us Bradys to take him up to college. Um, And Melissa already had to take another trip up there because apparently he thought one collared shirt was going to be enough. And uh, clearly that was uh, him trying to be (laughs) too simple about his wardrobe. Uh, Susan, on the other hand, was in great shape. If she needed like 10 pairs of shoes, all at the same time, she had them ready to go. All of her stuff filled up the entire SUV with room only for Melissa and Susan. Luke had five. Susan just had two because of how thoroughly she packed. And it's okay to be prepared, right? That's that's not bad. But one of the things that... Susan took was a ton of time and effort and work to get all of her stuff into the car and then into her dorm. And I think one of the things that Jesus is getting at with this, this message, don't carry a purse or, or a bag of money or sandals, just get on with it. This is an urgent mission. Don't, don't delay. Don't slow yourself down by loading yourself down. Travel light so that you can make good time. But I think there's another reason why Jesus, one of the workers, to travel light. Think about this with me. If they didn't have provisions, and their journey was not just a day trip, right? They're going to these towns that require a a day's travel, at least, and they're going to be spending some time there. If they didn't have all their provisions, they would need to rely on the hospitality of those that they were sharing their message with, weren't they? They they couldn't just go on down to Holiday Inn, right? Because they didn't have their purse, their bag of money. They had to stay with those that they were sharing the message with. Because there is this mutual exchange that takes place between people when there is shalom. And Jesus wants them to proclaim shalom, and Jesus wants them to work for shalom and start building in this relational fabric, relational support, relational exchange that takes place where there is shalom. And this is why I think Jesus also said in verse 7, look what he said in verse 7. He said, stay there, eating and drinking, whatever they give you. For the worker deserves his wages, but do not move around from house to house. In other words, the, the workers want to think, hmm, I wonder what they're eating down the street. Uh, I saw Bob and, and James go into that house over there, and I wonder what they're eating because what we're eating here and all that great. I wonder if breakfast is bigger over there. Maybe I should go over there. I wonder if, if the mattress is more comfortable over there because I'm looking at this mattress that I'm going to be sleeping on tonight, and it looks horrible. In other words, don't do that, Jesus says. That's not very humble. Don't travel from house to house. Instead, be content with the hospitality that is being given to you. You see, it's true that the workers were to receive from those they were giving this message to But they weren't to be demanding, right? They weren't to exploit them trying to get a better dinner or a better night's sleep out of where they were staying. They weren't to use those relationships for their own benefit. Jesus is asking them to take this humble attitude and start building this shalom with the people that they are seeing. And so if Christians want to be faithful to this calling to go out, and indeed bring others into the kingdom of God, it will only be on the shoulders of a posture of humility. Where I realize I need that person that I am giving this message to just as much as they need me giving them that message Now, how do we apply this scripture today? Um, because it seems a little out of touch with kind of current culture, right? I mean, we have, we have cars that can take us what walking required a day for them. We can get there in, what, 15 minutes? Um, how, how do we apply this? Plus the whole idea of going out in pairs, knocking on people's doors, this door-to-door evangelism stuff which you may have done and may think quite fondly of and may be great at it. But, you know, hospitality in Jesus' day was was of, it was much more of a central cultural value than it is today. And today, if you were to go knocking on doors, I think a whole lot of people would be closing their windows, you know, closing their shutters or their blinds. Um instead of inviting you in for the night. So how do we apply this today? I think one of the keys is this statement right here. Make go my everyday attitude for how I will build the kingdom of God in my neighborhood. There's a real interesting storyline in the Bible about neighborhood and what do I see as my neighborhood and how do I interact with my neighborhood. And it's just one of those really surprising stories where you least expect it. And it's in Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 29. Um, The Jewish people were taken as captives By the Babylonians, they were now exiles in Babylon, taken captive by a very pagan people, taken to a very pagan place. And they didn't know how long they would be there. Some people thought, some of the Jewish people thought, it would just be be a short, brief time, just maybe a few years, but certainly not more than a few years. And some of the Jewish people thought, you know, the best thing we could do right now is just stay away from the Babylonians, just kind of do our own thing, live our own life, be our own people, mind our own business, stay away as much as possible from these pagan Babylonians that we are now finding all around us. The interesting thing is that's not what God told them to do. God told them It's going to be a little more than just a few years, first of all. It wound up being 70 years. God told them, go ahead and build houses and settle down. Go ahead, have your sons and your daughters marry and build families. And then look at what he says. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, if Babylon prospers, if this pagan city Babylon prospers, you too will prosper. If your neighborhood prospers, the neighborhood that you might not care anything about, the neighborhood that you might want to just stay away from and isolate yourself from and do your own thing, if the neighborhood prospers, Israelites, you too will prosper. And guess what word for peace is there in verse 7 at the top there? Is it the lack of harm peace or is it the good coming, the shalom coming peace? It's shalom that they were to pray for, for this pagan neighborhood they found themselves in. What does this mean for us? When we fail to go out and reach out to our neighbors, we are failing to live in one of the foundational rhythms of being a human being. <laughs> when we focus only on our needs or the needs of the church or, you know, just kind of our family's needs, we are ignorant of our common human journey that God sends us on together. And that is exactly what he was doing with the Israelites when they were living in Babylon for 70 years. He says, guess what, folks? It's your common human journey right now with these Babylonians. And so pray and seek the peace and the prosperity of this new neighborhood that I've sent you to, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. God does that so that we will all work together, living in this kind of mutual shalom-building relationship, interdependent, both needing each other so that we can work for the common good in our neighborhood. The call to go doesn't have to be the call to full-time vocational missionary work, does it? It does not need to include that. The call to go is just this everyday attitude how am I going to work for the kingdom of God in my neighborhood? There's a story I want to close with about a young boy who was lonely. Uh, He was uh, overweight. He was shy. Uh, He was homebound, often because he had asthma. He had a hard time making friends. He would cry uh, to himself a lot. And so he would just be by himself. And one of the things he liked to do, uh, one of his peaceful places, was to make up songs on the piano in his loneliness. And he was bullied sometimes. And neighbor kids would chase him around. And they would say, we're going to get you, Fat Freddy. We're going to get you. Come here, we're going to get you. And one day they were chasing him. And he ran up to the door of an elderly woman in the neighborhood uh, just begging in his mind, pleading, please be home, please be home, please be home. And she was home. She opened the door and uh, invited this child in. And it was this just transformational moment in how this young boy saw the neighborhood and what to do in the neighborhood and how to seek the peace and the prosperity of the neighborhood and how to be a good neighbor. Um, And you might know who that fat Freddy, what his name really is. It's, It's Fred Rogers. It's Fred Rogers. It's Mr. Rogers. And then he went on to go spend his life trying to do that, to build up the neighborhood and our neighborhoods, because he knew if the neighborhoods flourish, then the people flourish as well. So here's what being a good neighbor is all about. It's about recognizing that interdependence, this relationship, this mutuality that God is inviting us to have with our neighbors and building up connections. Not so that we can act like we've got all the the right answers and we're coming in to save the day, but because we're on this common human journey together and that we have this message of peace that we do have to give. And it's a great message. Of the kingdom of God coming in. And Jesus is the king. And once we've shown that humility, then we can say, you know, there's, there's some, some things that are really important to me. About Jesus Christ and his life and the life that he invites us to live that I want to share with you. And as Christ loves us so deeply, he gave up his spot in heaven so he can come down into our neighborhood. That's the message that we can give. So as we get ready to pray, I want you to to think in your mind right now, is there someone that you know of that needs that kind of message? Someone in your life, someone in your neighborhood, someone on your street, someone in your office, in your school, that needs that message. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will open up ways for you to go and share that message with them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we we humbly ask that you would send out workers into your harvest field. And we want to go. We want to be willing. We recognize it doesn't have to mean that we've got to pack up all of our stuff and move overseas and do mission work. You're inviting us to bring about your mission right here, right where we are. Lord, we pray for that humility so that we can make our first message one of peace in your reconciliation, saving sinners from sin, and then inviting us to live this new life of obedience that is light and gives life and hope. And we want to be faithful in all aspects of um, the message, Lord, that you have for us to share. So we turn to you. And we say, "Will you send us out now. Give us what we need. We know we don't need much, Jesus said. Don't care that purse or that bag or the sandals. Uh, we need that open heart and that humility, Lord. Love for Christ in our hearts. And that's what we pray for. And love for our neighbors. In Jesus we pray. Amen.